Hi, everybody. Hey, there's a hot topic of out there that everybody wants to know about. And today on the beats, we're going to be answering all your questions related to the gene therapy known as the vaccine for COVID-19. So we probably get this question about 12 to 15 times a day. And last about two weeks ago, actually on brmi.online, which is our local resource that we all use for all empirical based data in regards to everything and the biological regulation um, paradigm. Dr. James O'Dell, the creator and executive founding member and executive director of BRMI.online is willing to come on our podcast today to give you the 411, what you need to know to make an informed consent to help others be educated. I know that this is vast and I know it's a lot of information, so get your pen and paper out, but you will have the answer you've wanted to know since this whole thing began. Welcome to The Beats with Kelly Kennedy and our special guest today, Dr. James O'Dell. Okay, everybody. I've lined up one of my favorite guests, Dr. James O'Dell from the BRMI.online Institute, which is the nonprofit, non-commercial resource that if you don't know about it, you need to be on it. They have an e-journal that comes out once a month that's phenomenal, chucked full of content, empirically based, all of it, and backed up by none other than the nut. I, I mean, for those who don't know Dr. James O'Dell, you've never met anybody like him. For those who have met him, we've never met anybody like him. And our big question is, how do you do it, James? Are you a superhero? The amount of content and the ongoing passion to the foundation of biological medicine and bringing it to the United States is beyond respectable and commendable. And we are internally grateful, James, for what you do, for what BRMI does to hold the space so eloquently for biological regulatory medicine and and we are here to talk about the vaccine of covid and i'm so appreciative of that and the e-journal which i'm holding in my hand but is obviously electronic format um online do you want to talk about this and welcome once again to the beats with kelly kennedy dr james odell thank you kelly thanks for having me on and uh i know this was such a short uh notice, uh, but I'm, I'm very willing to answer any of your questions. And so just go ahead and, and interrogate me as much as you want. God bless you, James. So, um, I mean, you no know, disrespect, you just have to understand that James is one of my best friends in the world as well. So I just can't call him anything other than James. So um, the vaccine, let's first talk about the definition of a vaccine and what is out on the market for COVID, because here's the bottom line. I get asked this question all day long, every day, as do many practitioners in this industry. What do you think about the vaccine? I personally think my standing on the vaccines in general is pretty clear. Um, and this I know is a new thing that's happening in our world. And so it makes people think that there's now a different approach. And yet I come from, hey, it's still the same thing. My immune system is what's going to, it doesn't matter what the bug is outside. It's more about the, uh, the terrain that it's going into. We get that, right? That's what the podcast is about, how the body really works. But now let's just talk about the vaccine so that as a scientist, as a doctor, if you can explain it 
in your terminology, and then if we need to dumb it down, we will. Okay. The, um, I get the same questions every day, uh, more than once a day. And I think, you know, this is just a topic of conversation because, you know, about 70 million people now have had um, the messenger RNA vaccine. And um, now we have the J&J &J vaccine that's, that's also out there too. Um, technically, the definition, at least the used to be definition of a vaccine was that it's a protein. And it could be either a viral protein or a bacterial protein. Uh, it could either be dead or alive. And they would maybe add something to the protein, you know, certain proprietary things, adjuvants and, and the like to maybe uh, enhance the immunity of that. And then they would inject it into the body or orally take it into the body. And that would create an uh, allegedly... Uh, if all goes well, it would create an antibody, a neutralizing antibody for that specific pathogen. Um, now, that is kind of the classic definition that it's a protein. However, they're changing up the definition now. Uh, what has happened is now we have messenger RNA, which is uh, a kind of a fragment of, and it goes into your cell, it's being injected into your cells, where it goes into the ribosomes of the cell, uh, and the ribosomes create a protein, okay? So it's not a protein, it creates a protein. Now, it doesn't go into the DNA, not, not um, right away, um, but in a, in a secondary way, it could certainly affect the DNA of your body, uh, but not in a direct way. So, what happens is you inject this and it goes again into the ribosomes of the cells where the ribosomes create a protein. Now this protein then goes into the body where if all goes well, it'll create a neutralizing antibody. And that neutralizing antibody will neutralize that specific pathogen that it's programmed for. So it's different, you know, what we're, what we're talking about is something very different. And uh, messenger RNA is very easy to manufacture. It's very simple and cost-effective. And so that's, they've been trying to actually uh, come up with messenger RNA vaccines for, for some time. Um, so technically the definition of a vaccine, as I say, is a protein, and this isn't exactly a protein, this creates a protein. So uh, some people say it's not really a vaccine. However, Webster's just recently change the definition and saying messenger RNA is indeed a vaccine now. So that's, it's something new. Um, now, there are three different vaccines out there. Uh, we have the Moderna, the Pfizer, and the J&J, &J, the Johnson & Johnson. Uh, the Moderna and Pfizer are messenger RNA vaccines. The, um, the Johnson & Johnson is what they call a viral vector vaccine or a uh, rhinovirus vector vaccine which is actually uh, like a protein. So it's more conventional in that sense. There's been other viral vector vaccines um, that have been used on the human population. Uh, the rabies vaccine is a viral vector. Okay. So, um, but in getting fact, back, yeah. The viral vector means it, it's on, on a, some kind of host. The vector is the host's kind of an, understanding. An adenovirus. Uh, and and it, what it, they've done is they've added a spike protein to it. So they chimerically 
uh, altered it. They say well, chimerically, this is like a way that they could do in the lab to kind of, in a, in a Frankensteinish way, to to add two different things together and create a new uh, synthetic pathogen. Okay, so that's what it is. It's a kind of a chimeric viral vector vaccine that includes a spike protein uh, similar to the coronavirus spike protein. Uh, and the whole idea in that is to uh, unleash the spike protein into your body so that you will create antibodies to the spike protein in hopes that those antibodies block the spike protein of the coronavirus. Now, that's just if all goes well, and that's, that's what it means in theory. Now, what's important to understand is that these three vaccines are not licensed by the FDA. They're, they're not licensed at all. Now, usually it takes, I mean, it could take up to, you know, six years sometimes to actually uh, test effectively um, through animal studies, through human studies, and, and long-term human studies uh, to watch and see if there's any kind of adverse reactions that happen in a long-term way. And then deeming it safe and effective, uh, the FDA will license it. It is authorized under emergency use. Okay, so it's authorized. This is a in, this is a very important distinction. I want to make sure that we're clear on this. So you're saying it, it's not a licensed, which takes typically six years, lots of research, both animal and human studies. Right. They really research the vaccine, which is different than used to be different than the MN. MRNA. However, now Webster's changed the definition of that to include that in a vaccine. So right. Regardless, that would typically take six years approximately to test a vaccine before it was licensed. So the now is what's kind of average. Yeah, that's an average, maybe about six years. Uh, you know, it could it could be longer, it could be shorter, but not much shorter. Uh, so this was um, pushed through. Uh, in a very fast way. It was fast-tracked. I'm sure you heard that word a lot on the uh, media. Fast-tracked the vaccine so that we could unleash it on the public and um, in this way. But it, you can't just unleash a vaccine on the public um, if it's not licensed. So they had to, to do something. So they created emergency authorization use. Now, what does that mean? Emergency authorization it isn't the same standard as a licensed vaccine, okay? It doesn't carry the same safety standard. I will say that again. It doesn't carry the same safety standard as a licensed biological uh, product. That it's of a less safety standard. Uh, again, the, the, the trials were fast-tracked, and so we really don't know the long-term uh, effects. So we have become the test animal, the human population become the test animal. But it allows people to choose if they want to take it or not. That's what emergency authorization is for. And generally, emergency authorization is used for like chemotherapy agents, actually. So if, if you're dying of cancer, and, and, uh, and if you choose to try this new chemotherapeutic agent that may or may not uh, help you live a few days longer or a few weeks longer, um, then they have approved it for emergency authorization. Now, that's there's a difference if you're dying of cancer to take an emergency authorization drug, and if you're healthy and well, 
and take an emergency authorization drug. The difference is um, it's, there's a danger in it. There's a huge risk in it. You know, this isn't licensed. We don't know the outcome of it. And the, the government doesn't know the outcome of it either. The manufacturer doesn't know the outcome of it either. Um, and I'll get there in a minute as far as the manufacturers. Uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, James, but if, if I am, uh, you know, God forbid, dying of cancer and, and there's no, no choice and all of a sudden somebody goes, hey, I have this trial. We're doing this. We're doing this trial. You know, somebody comes in, they, they talk to you about it. You sit down you go over all the side effects, all the possibilities, all the unknowns. It's typically multiple pages when you're a part of their research trial, because you're part of the research trial. Like there's a lot of disclaimers. There's a lot of signatures. There's a lot of conversation about what all that means, right? Yes. Yeah, that's correct. You're entering a research trial. You're saying, hey, I agree that I am part of this experiment. I am willing to do it in, like you say, a ditch effort to save my life, not as a healthy person without looking at all the weighing all of this and just signing up for it because fear that I might get sick and die. Right. True. Yeah, so that's that's what that is. So just to understand that it's not licensed, it's been approved to, for emergency authorization, all three of those vaccines have. Now, um, so that's that's where it's at. And so uh, there is a, the CDC has a vaccine reporting system. It's an adverse uh, reaction reporting system called VIRS. Uh, it stands for a vaccine adverse um yeah. Uh, event reporting system and or VIRS. Now, uh, VIRS has been around for a long time, and they say that uh, most people don't even know about it and, and that a lot of vaccines, uh, adverse reactions are not reported to VIRS. Uh, some people say it's, it's as low as 1% or maybe as high as 10%. So any of the numbers that you get from VIRS, uh, you might want to add a zero to that number just because it's underreported. It's, it's very, very underreported. And in fact, a lot of doctors won't even report uh, vaccine reactions to VIRS. They just refuse to do it, as well as nurses and the like. So the newest statistics, I'm going to look it up here for you, is, um, see if I could find it again. I just had it here. Uh, the newest statistics from VIRS is that um, <clears throat> there has been uh, from uh, up to February the 26th, okay, a total of 25,000 total adverse events were reported to VIRS, ab all about the messenger RNA vaccines, okay, it's either Moderna or Pfizer. Uh, and, 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 and there's only 70,000 vaccines that have been administered? 70 million. Oh, 70 million. Okay, yeah. 70 okay. million administered and 25,000 adverse reactions, maybe a zero added. Yeah, it, it, uh, for certain, a, a zero or two added, maybe. Um, and then there's been 1,265 deaths. Now, that isn't mean that, that the vaccine has caused these deaths. It means that these are adverse reactions that have been associated or reported after the person had the vaccine. Now, it could be reported as, as little as just immediately, you know, after they had the vaccine or up to 25 minutes or maybe a day or two. But usually it's not reported beyond that, beyond a day or two. 
there's been 4,424 serious injuries after receiving the messenger RNA vaccines. Now, again, you could add numbers to that. Now, what's interesting is that if you look online, you're not going to find these numbers. You have to go into VIRS and find these numbers. And the, uh, the mainstream media certainly doesn't report it. If anything, they report this as a coincidence. So there's a lot of uh, coincidental deaths happening out there, all right, uh, that seem to happen you know, after a person gets the vaccine. What seems to be going on also is, is that older people are more susceptible to this. So it's happening a lot in nursing homes. And I'll explain why here in a minute, you know, why this happens. But um, that seems to be the target population for adverse events. Now, it's not, I mean, there are young people, you know, people in their 20s or uh, in, in their 30s that have also had very, you know, adverse events and have died. Um, most of this, though, happens in nursing homes, and it's happening throughout the world. Now, this is just what's reported here in the United States to VIRUS, okay? That's our, you know, the CDC reporting system. Other countries have their own reporting system. Some don't have reporting systems at all, and, um, but it's happening all over the world. And so it's, you know, this kind of information uh, on Google is a little harder to find. So, you know, maybe you have to go duck, duck, go, go, or, you know, some uh, dig around in, in other ways. Uh, Children Health Defense is, is a good source. Uh, that's uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s uh, website. The, um, the National Vaccine Information Center, uh, nvic.org, is another good source to look into information. Um, there's uh, sherrytenpenny.com is another very good information source. Uh, Dell Bigtree, there's, uh, there's several of them out there that are still operating and haven't been completely uh, censored. Dr. That, Northrup, Dr. Christine Northrup. Exactly. So uh, I can't name them all, but you can find this information. It's just most people don't. They don't really look at that. And they're just assuming, you know, from the mainstream media that that all itself uh, is well and good. And so I'm sure you know people that have had their first, you know, Pfizer vaccine, and they say, "Oh, I'm I'm going to have my next one." Uh, and I, you know, usually you ask, "Well, how did you feel?" And I say, "Well, it was a little sore arm, but I'm okay." You know, I have had people that have had some serious reactions. Uh, I've had some patients that have had some serious reactions to the vaccines too. And of course, after a serious reaction, even the manufacturer advises you not to do the second vaccine. And, um, but some people go ahead and they do it, you know, just to think that uh, they're pressured into it. You know, people are pressured into it by their families, by their friends, uh, socially, they say, well, I just wanna get out and, and, and communicate with my friends again, and, and they won't let me join them unless I've been vaccinated. And so, you know, you hear these sad stories of, of uh, social pressures on people to get vaccinated. And then you also hear the stories of, of people on uh, social media saying, I got vaccinated. And then, you know, they would get the high fives and, oh, that's wonderful. And, you know, and, and mazel top and whatever. They, they would have uh, be congratulated by their friends, you know, that this is wonderful. Um, in other words, what you're having out there is a lot of peer pressure and social pressure to do this. Aside from that, you're also having pressures from different organizations, you know, schools, um, workplaces, 
uh, you know, you see it in, in the world of travel and business that people are being uh, coerced into getting an a experimental vaccine. And that's what I want to stress, that this is not a licensed vaccine. This has been authorized under emergency use. Therefore, it is still experimental. And we are the experiment. And so uh, technically, if it's experimental, they can't advertise it yet on television. That's why you haven't really seen advertisements yet, because it hasn't been licensed. And the, the military, the military can't be forced into taking it. That's why one third of the military has refused it. I if you wondered how they were getting away with that. Aha. That is how. Aha. Because it's not licensed yet, because it's still experimental. So on that basis, could could people that work in hospital systems or no, because that's yes, private? They can, but their hospital system may say, you know, well, private organization, so. right? we're going to put you on leave of absence until, you know, whatever. Sure. So, uh, and you can sue them. And this is where the lawsuits will happen. It, it'll happen in the private sectors. Okay. And you're already starting to see it. You know, people losing their job from restaurants that restaurants are requiring them to be vaccinated and they're suing the restaurants for this. And so there's going to be a lot of lawsuits. Now, speaking of lawsuits, uh, according to the PrEP Act uh, that was passed, that the manufacturers, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, cannot be sued. Uh, they are not liable in any way uh, for any kind of adverse events from these vaccines. So that's that. I mean, you know, as a human, I, I just, from human to human, I'm saddened that that people are peer pressured, as you just said, into this, rather than, you know, here we are standing about, oh, personal rights, and I want to have a right to, you know, dress what I want and be called what I want. Yeah, I'm being peer pressure into wearing a mask, first of all, I'm being peer, well, many of us are being peer pressured into wearing a mask, many are now being peer pressured, like you said, into getting a vaccine, and this is my health, this is my body, it's not anybody else's choice, what happened to personal choice, what happened to not my, not my body stay, it's my body rather stay away, and yet people are being peer pressured, and, and it's a, Ian and I did a podcast last weekend about relationships because it was burning him up inside that throughout all the years that we've done this, you know, it's one thing to hear somebody stand, sit on your table and say, oh, my husband doesn't want me to do this woo woo or whatever they want to call, you know, the energetic vibrational work that Ian's done for years that's always gotten results. Yet there's always been resistance from peers to get it. And he, that's always irked him at some level. But when somebody sits on his table and says, my husband wants me to get the vaccine, so I'm getting it. That's when it pushed him over to wanting to do a vac to do a podcast because, it, I mean, it, peer pressure to, get, to take a health, you know. Yeah. To it's very strong, too. And as I say, it's not just peer pressure. It's you know, people are being pressured in, in other sectors, too, and other, you know, in their business. Work. Yeah, work exactly schools financially pressured. Yeah, yeah, socially it, pressured. This is uh, so again, it's an experimental vaccine that that comes with uh, potential adverse events and consequences. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about two different issues um, that are associated with with the vaccine. 
with a back in 2005 when uh, to, between 2002 and 2005 when the first coronavirus uh, occurred you know there was the coronavirus one SARS one mm -hmm. they tried to create a vaccine for that because you know for, for most of the flus that are out there about 80 percent are influences and another say 20 percent are coronaviruses okay and so you know we've always been around coronaviruses and and this is you know the flu and uh, but so they've they've been able to uh, create a an influenza vaccine and make it through the uh, all the trials the, the animal trials into the human trials and of course that happens every year you know that they do this and and that is licensed um, but they when they uh, started trying to do it for coronaviruses they were not successful okay what happened was. Uh, the animal trials failed, and they did it with rats, mice, rabbits, hamsters, monkeys, and ferrets, okay? Mm. All it failed, and the reason that it failed was something because of something called antibody-dependent enhancement, or ADE. Some people call it pathogenic priming um, or disease enhancement. It's a ADE is more of a euphemism for disease enhancement. What this can do is that when they uh, vaccinated the animal with the coronavirus, okay? Now, they, this wasn't a uh, messenger RNA coronavirus. We're just talking about, uh, there was a, a many different platforms of, of coronavirus vaccines that they tried. When they vaccinated the animal, then when they re-exposed the animal to a coronavirus, the animal became very ill. It didn't work. And that's not the way vaccines supposed to work. You know, they're supposed to create neutralizing antibodies. But what happened instead was that it, uh, it stimulated, overstimulated their antibodies to create a, like an autoimmune reaction um, or even a severe infection. So it, was, it became like a super infection. So it's called ADE. And um, this has always been a thorn in the side of vaccine manufacturers because you've seen, we've seen an ADE with many other kinds of vaccines that have been uh, developed. And, uh, but it didn't, you know, because it, uh, the animals either became severely ill, like the, the ferrets uh, developed a, um, uh, a liver hepatitis, like an autoimmune liver hepatitis, the, um, the rabbits developed some kind of uh, in, inflammatory process in their lungs. Each one, you know, it's, it attacked different organ systems for different animals and, and uh, depending on the, the vaccine. But these were coronavirus vaccines and they all failed, okay? So the, the, they said, we, we're not gonna progress to human studies. We can't progress to human studies. And so they just closed it up. They closed the book, okay? And they said, let's just, you know, the manufacturers, we're, we're, you know, we're doing pretty well here with, with our pneumonia shots and our, and our influenza shots and our shingles shots and whatever, and that they're trying to, you know, put out new kinds of, of vaccines on the adult population because they pretty well saturated the, the, the children population with uh, over 72 vaccines before the age of, of 18 now. Uh, that's the CDC schedule. So this is... Um, this was the problem is that they weren't able to progress to human studies. Now, uh, let's fast forward to now to like last year that this SARS-2 came out. Well, 
Mm, the, uh, this is a severe situation. And even though it has a 99.91% you know, chance of living, um, it's, you know, this is scary stuff, in, in, uh, according to the media. And so we need to create a vaccine for it. Um, so did they really do animal studies? If, you know, they did do a monkey study, but it wasn't really, they weren't really, really looking for the antibody dependent enhancement. They're, they could have done uh, certain types of serological testing or, or uh, um, uh, autopsies on the animals to determine if this was, uh, if they did get ADE or not. They didn't do that. You know, they didn't inter do interleukin-5s or uh, testing or anything like this. So, they, they just kind of jumped through the hoop there with the animal testing right into humans, right? And they even fast-tracked the human studies where they combined, uh, you know, usually there's a three phases, phase one, phase two, phase three. They combined the phase three and two together to fast-track it. So we don't know, you know, but uh, in the past, the coronavirus vaccines, um, no matter what platform they were, weren't successful and created this antibody dependent enhancement. Um, it is the antibody dependent enhancement sounds much like a cytokine storm. Well, you know, it, there, the cytokine storm is, is actually something that can happen too. It's, it's a, even a different issue, but yes, uh, antibody dependent enhancement just overstimulates the immunity. Overregulation. An overregulation uh, and it could, uh, uh, attack a certain organ as uh, you could like autoimmune hepatitis or, or infiltrates in the lungs. But yes, you'll have inflammatory cytokines that are a part of this. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and that overwhelm the system and, and take, you know, take the animal out. So <clears throat> this is the situation is that um, this antibody dependent enhancement usually doesn't happen immediately. Okay. It can take maybe up to three months before you even develop the antibodies to uh, the vaccine, all right, the, the spike antibody, the neutralizing antibodies to the vaccine. And from so from three months on, it could be all the way up into maybe 19 years later, is what some virologists say, that you may not uh, have ADE, you may not develop it. But most of it's developed pretty early on, and it's developed when you get exposed again to another coronavirus. Now, keep in mind, there are more than 37 coronaviruses out there, about seven of them that we know about uh, that are kind of part of the human predicament. Uh, but there's other ones out there, too, uh, that are less uh, troublesome, less pathogenic, or that maybe affect other kinds of animals, okay? <clears throat> but... Once you get exposed to another coronavirus, you could potentially have this ADE develop or this disease enhancement develop. We don't, we don't know how long it's going to take. So it's like a ticking time bomb. And uh, so people will get their vaccine and they say, oh, I'm okay. And they'll get their second vaccine. Well, the second one was pretty strong and I felt kind of ill. Okay, I guess I'm okay. Well, maybe not. And now, what are the, what's happening to the people that are immediately dying? Now, that's an anaphylactic reaction. That's a little. That's not disease enhancement. What that's um, what's happening there is that they're having anaphylaxis, probably to the polyethylene glycol that the messenger RNA is enshrouded in. So 
messenger RNA is raw, you know, and it's it's very vulnerable to attack. You can't just inject messenger RNA into the body. You know, our immune system will immediately attack it. And uh, so it has to be protected. It has to be enclosed in a uh, what they've enclosed it in is certain kinds of uh, proprietary lipids, fats, uh, to create like a little bubble around it, all right? And uh, but of those proprietary fats within them, both within the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, is the polyethylene glycol, or what they also call PEG, P-E-G. Now, it is estimated that 70% or more of the population have PEG sensitivities. What that means is kind of like uh, you've heard pe people being sensitive to bees or people being sensitive to, you know, certain types of, of uh, environmental things that cause them to uh, have a severe reaction. This is the same thing. Like pander to animals or pollen or something like that. But this is more man-made chemicals. Like people have latex issues or they have... Um, some other like red dye. I mean, that was an old one that people used to sure. be like, aware of. But yeah, there's chemical sensitivities. This would be, you know, PG something is that, a huge one. People look for people, non, not they want. They look for products that have no PEG in them. Oftentimes. Right, right, and you know, so so the uh, the other side. I say the other side. You know, the side that says, "Oh, this is coincidence," and yeah, it's not really a problem. That those people. Uh, they're saying, oh, you know, you see polyethylene glycol in foods and this and that, but it's never been in a vaccine before injected into the body, okay? Yes, it might be in certain things that you consume, but not directly injected into the body. So that's why it's a different first time. This yeah, is the first time. time they're using that. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's the first time for a lot of things here. This first time for messenger RNA, you know, this is a new platform, totally new. Don't know what it's going to do. Uh, you know, it's supposed to create this uh, uh, protein, this spike protein antibody. If everything goes well, if they regulate. Well, if, if, yeah, but we don't know. I mean, you know, this is all kind of conjecture and theory. So the, uh, but the polyethylene glycol is an issue for a lot of people. And that's, when you hear people that they like immediately pass out or fall over or have you know trouble breathing, go into the emergency room or whatever right after their vaccine, that's probably what's going on there. Now again, that's you know the first problem. The the second problem, and then if you've had one reaction like that, you certainly don't want to go back and get a second shot um, because it could be worse the second time. So um, you know once you've had an anaphylactic reaction, you you don't go there again. Right, uh, right. Yeah, and, and so even the manufacturer will, you know, say that. Now, there's uh, other issues that have, um, aside from the ADE, you know, which is it could be a delayed problem in, of autoimmunity. Uh, it may not take you out. It may not kill you, but you may, you know, have an autoimmune disease. So you, you may be seeing, you probably will be seeing a lot of autoimmune diseases in your practice in the next coming few years. Well, I, what we've seen so far, the biggest reaction I've seen outside of somebody like feeling deathly fluey ill for a few days after it is swollen lymph nodes. And yeah, I've, had, yeah. I've had a lot of practitioners across mm -hmm. the country because of my, you know, my lymph thing that I am, the lymph queen known as in many worlds, yeah. that I get a lot of calls about that. And you've yes. seen it too, huh? A lot of swollen oh, lymph nodes. In, in the arm that they get the second shot in. 
Yes, exactly. And uh, another thing, we're on that same side, you know, could be in their neck and uh, around. Uh, I, I know that you do contact regulation thermography, Kelly. And yes. uh, this is something to know about. If you got the vaccine and then immediately after you get contact regulation thermography, you might see some abnormal findings in the breast. Why? Because it causes the lymphatics of the breast to swell. So just to keep in mind, that could be an artifact of the vaccine. Um, and so people shouldn't be doing their mammograms or their, uh, their uh, scans, their breast scans, uh, post-vaccine. Yeah. Right. Because it'll maybe show a false positive. Yet that is saying that it's putting another burden, however, on the lymphatics. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, clearly. And, and what I know about the lymphatics is most people's don't work well to begin with. And right. now this is going to be adding to the pile. And, you know, we get accumulation. Our lymphatic is our filter. And if we keep accumulating, accumulating, accumulating in that filter and don't change the filter, right. that's going to be a problem. Now you add this messenger RNA, which like you said, first of all, let's just reiterate, it's completely, it's different than a vaccine because it's farther up the chain and expecting the body to do a lot of the work. Yes. It's wrapped, in, it's wrapped in PEG, which has never been done before. Yeah. It's an absolute yeah. experimental authorized under emergency use only vaccine, which is why it can't be, um, you know, advertised as of yet. Right. Yeah, right. And all that being said, if you feel bad, something goes wrong, you cannot, because of the law, ever go back to the manufacturer yes. for any side effects or ill effects, including death or anything thereof. You can't even go to the government. You know, in, uh, for a licensed vaccine, you can go to vaccine court. Okay. And, um, but you can't even go to vaccine court with this one. So, uh, you know, there's that. It says you have no recourse legally. Uh, other, other than that, okay. you, yeah, you could, uh, as I say, sue the, uh, the company that's trying to force you to take the vaccine or whatever, or, or possibly. Right, right. But as far as the vaccine aspect of it, you can't right. just, yeah. you can only stand for your infringement of your rights to be pressured into do something that is completely experimental. Exactly. Okay. So, uh, All right. So what other great news do you have for us, Dr. Otell? Well, um, as I say, this the new Johnson & Johnson one uh, is, also carries its, its risk. And what's happening is that, um, <clears throat> as you know, the coronavirus is unique. It has a, a spike protein on it. And the spike protein is kind of like a little antenna or receptor that attaches to receptors in your body. So um, this is what they're trying to block. And so that's why they've inserted a, uh, a spike protein into the vaccine, or they've, they've um, made the messenger RNA in such a way that your body will create a spike protein. Okay. It Once, kind of mirror the, the Corona? Yeah. Like mirror the Corona. Exactly. So, okay. um, and in hopes that you create an antibody to the spike protein. Okay, so it's different than a vaccine. The messenger RNA is different than a, a true vaccine in the sense that you're not really creating antibodies to the whole uh, virus or the whole bacteria. You're only creating antibodies to the spike protein. 
questioning. Okay, can you unpack that a little bit more just for those that, I mean, even I'm Cornell biologist and I'm almost lost with you because okay. you're Dr. Well, James so you're, you're creating uh, antibodies to a, uh, a virus or a bacteria, a neutralizing antibody. It neutralizes the whole a bad guy against a good guy. Not that it's that simple, but just, yes. okay, for the sake of example. Okay. But in this way, you're really not going after the coronavirus. You're going after the spike protein. So that's what they, they're targeting is the spike protein. So you're trying, they're trying to create antibodies for that particular spike protein. Now, once it's in you, it's in you. You can't take it out. Now, what is a spike protein? A spike protein becomes... A, um, a receptor for other kinds of diseases too. So this can program your body to become more receptive actually to other types of, of diseases. And there's talk about it causing prion disease. Oh. And, and so that it could be- I just a, did an entire podcast about prions just today. You know, so uh, I have some information on that. There's a uh, on the BRMI website, there's a, uh, a little video on, in the last e-journal, that's the 25th e-journal. Uh, so if you go there to the 25th e-journal, you could, you could read, uh, it's a little news segment about that. Uh, but there was a doctor that was talking about this in, in ref reference to prion disease, saying that this could potentially potentiate uh, new types of prion diseases. Uh, now, prion diseases, if you remember, that's, that's like your a bovine encephalitis and, you know, the mad cow disease and that kind of thing. And so- And um, Parkinson's, correct? Well, and absolutely. This crosses the blood-brain barrier where it can interact with certain proteins in the brain and cause dementia, you know, front temporal lobe uh, diseases and, and the like. So there, there's a lot of other uh, dangers associated with it. One last thing I'll share with you. Uh, I don't like to be the bringer of bad news. No, you're awesome. Here's the thing, because we appreciate it so much, James, honestly, because so many people, you know, may not read the entire e-journal or they might get confused in reading it or they might not quite mm -hmm. understand it. And what we do know is that we have to hear things about 10 times before it really sinks in to remember yeah. all the aspects of it. And well, in, in, so I agree. Good. Yeah, and, I, I'm and the same way. I am. I, it takes me a while to get it all. And Actually, um, you know, I was I wasn't so so interested in vaccines until they started rolling all this out, and I, be, I became concerned about you know the human population, and that this could affect millions, if not billions, of people uh, in a very very bad way. So I had to say something. I had to become you know the the, the truth bearer here, uh, along with a lot of other good doctors, and so I'm kind of standing on a lot of their shoulders too. So. The uh, the other side is, is the other side that you probably heard about is is that you know they're giving it to pregnant women. Now this has not been tested on pregnant women uh, ever. That pregnant women were excluded from all the human trials. Okay, and as were breastfeeding uh, people, uh, uh, women that were breastfeeding were was excluded from the trials. So we don't know the outcome of that. However. VAERS has reported hundreds of uh, cases of, of miscarriages after the vaccine. Now, again, mainstream media say, oh, it's coincidence. And um, again, we have a lot of coincidental 
uh, miscarriages happening after vaccines. So we got to wonder. Uh, but why would that happen? Well, there's been doctors uh, trying to explain why it happens. Uh, this particular messenger RNA has a, an amino acid sequence that is similar to a protein in our body. It's called succinctin-1, succinctin-1. And uh, it's, it's a protein that has, you know, proteins are made up of amino acids, so it has a very similar amino acid sequence. And what they're saying is that succinctin-1 um, a copycat of succinctin-1 could act in, in a negative way and you would create antibodies against succinctin-1 and that could cause you to become infertile. Now, they've actually tried to do this, back, again, back in about 2005, they were trying to create a new type of contraceptive by using succinctin-1. And um, they, it was successful. You know, they, they were able to create a synthetic uh, succinctin one that created antibodies that would cause infertility. Now, this again, this vaccine has the potential for doing that. Um, however, many uh, of scientists, you know, working for Pfizer, of course, and uh, the pharmaceutical industry, uh, came out immediately and said, um, "Oh no, no, this is unlikely." The, the words that they used were unlikely to happen. Um, that probably not going to happen. And so, I mean, those aren't really very convincing words, unlikely or, uh, you know. Coincidence over and over and over again. Yeah. But uh, this, was, this was what it is. And the, so I think that what you're going to see is if you're of childbearing years, you might want to reconsider this and, uh, and not do it that again, it's not something you could take out of your body. It's not like you can, oh, I can do detoxification and uh, no, not, and this, not for this. Not this, for this. Is this is because of the spike protein again, James, just to follow that train of thought. Yes, uh, that is one of the reasons that exactly, they have created a unique um, genetic sequence that goes into your ribosomes that creates a, uh, a protein, it's a spike protein that your body is a would, and, and if all goes well, will create a uh, a neutralizing antibody to to that particular spike protein, um, and that spike protein though can be messy, and uh, this has never been tried before to to create an antibody to just a part of a virus or a. a um, in other words, of it. Normally, they're trying to create antibodies to the whole virus and not to a single part, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, and, and that potentially creates prions because it makes the body more susceptible to other diseases. It, it can make your body susceptible to prions. Uh, in other words, the prions could attach to that spike protein, uh, as, as can other viruses and other things. So you become kind of a magnet for that. But once it's in you, it's in you. And, and you can't really go in there and take it out. So um, <clears throat> that's the scary part of it. Now, now, people are probably, oh my gosh, I've already had the vaccine, what do I do? Um, you know, you wanna, you wanna live your life in a healthy way. And, and that's what I will say, you know, I'm not gonna throw, you know, you're doomed. No, no, you're not doomed. That, you, you know, you could live your life in, in the healthiest way possible and you probably will be okay. So, um, Again, probably, 
and work your lymph, work your lymph, work your lymph, work your lymph. Exactly. Right? Do all the things to you know, protect yourself and eating well and exercise and, and you know, taking supplements for your immunity. Take care of your body, get your body as strong as possible. Exactly. So um, I don't want to give people the, the impression that in any way that they're doomed if they took the vaccine. Uh, because yeah. there's a lot of things that they could do to, to uh, circumvent any kind of uh, further problems. Uh, at the same time, I do think that there's a caution here uh, with this experimental vaccine. And if you haven't had it yet, you may want to do a little bit more research. I've written a couple articles. Um, one of them is in the 24th uh, e-journal, and yet the last one is in the 25th e-journal. And they're a little long, but you know they're readable. They're, it's not too, too difficult. And um, so that's what I would encourage you to do, you know, your due diligence and, and really study this up before you get it. You know, it's called informed consent. You, you right. have to be, exactly. you know, you have to be your own uh, informant because you're not going to get that at Walgreens or Walmart or at a Coliseum somewhere that's passing out the vaccines. They're not going to inform you of these issues at all. And, and be responsible when you come back to them with uh, facial palsy or, or convulsions or uh, whatever it may be later on. You know, so this is you have to do your due diligence and inform yourself and and decide for yourself is is it worth the risk? And thank you so much for clarifying that point because it's true. We're not here to force your hand to do one or other we mm -hmm. just want you to be educated educated you no know, that's educated. what informed consent is all about you know we've always said like clients walk in and out like are you okay if we get the vaccine people have been like oh i'm ashamed to tell you got the vaccine I'm like don't be ashamed i just want to know that you, it was a your choice that it wasn't a peer pressure and that choice was informed because that's what this is about consciously taking steps consciously knowing what we're putting in and on our body knowing whether it's at the dentist or at the medical doctor or at the cvs that i understand exactly what's going on in my body and i approve that and it's my yes. choice exactly and that's the and end of that that's all we're looking for it should be a personal choice right uh, it should be ideally an informed choice so uh, in no way are, you know, am I or anyone here trying to convince you one way or another, just let you, you know, laying it out here, what are the, you know, the safety issues associated with this? And um, that's, that's it. Once you see, you've heard that and, and you're aware of that, and if you still decide that, you, you know, that you're at risk uh, in, in, a, in a such a way that you, or you just can't live life without it, then, you know, that's, that's your choice. Right. And, and support your body one way, regardless if you get it or not, because it's your immune system and that's a burden or the coronavirus is a burden that we all have to deal with. All the coronaviruses are, all the rhinoviruses, all, all the bacteria, because we are all of that pathogenic, non-pathogenic, and we want to balance that throughout our lives by enhancing our immune system, right? There's one other thing I want to mention that uh, I'm going to roll back. You know, this... Uh, authorization, this uh, emergency use authorization. Um, normally they don't do uh, this if you're, if there's a viable treatment, okay, for the coronavirus. So if there was a viable treatment, then they wouldn't have been allowed to, to do emergency authorization use. Ah. Ah, so why were they so against certain treatments that doctors were talking about? Why were they so against vitamin C? 
zinc, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. I'm not that I'm promoting these drugs in any way. I'm just saying that many doctors came out saying that they had viable treatments to treat coronavirus and to treat severely ill people with coronavirus um, and to prevent it as well. But much of this was censored. Why was it censored? Because that would interfere with the authorization, uh, emergency authorization use. Right. So interesting, huh? Very interesting. Uh, you are such a wonderful person sharing such light in so many corners. Yeah, the where dark. there is darkness out there where, yeah. you know, education is the power, right? It's an in information and it is. All the work that you do at BRMI is continually, as I said in the beginning, constantly and continually updating that website, making sure that it's cutting edge, that it's empirical based, that you're, I don't know how you do it all, I'll say it again, to keep up with it all. You're yeah, evidence-based, yes. It's all evidence-based and you and your team do an amazing job and we're well, so thank thankful. You. We, you know, and, and, and thank you, Kelly, for, you know, being a platform for uh, me today to, to talk about this and, and appreciate all you do and all you do, you know, Kelly is an advisor for BRMI, both, both her and her husband. Uh, and we really, really appreciate uh, you and, and all that you do for BRMI too. So um, we're honored to be a part of that uh, organization, honestly, yeah, yeah, it, because we, we understand your mission and we just want to help you in whatever way we can, because it's a shared mission yeah. to educate. And educate, you know, yes. we, we want everybody to have the information at their fingertips and to know where to go to get more. And you know, the truth is we're not a, like an anti-vax platform. We are not no. in, in no, no way. In, in fact, we're, we're really not so much a vaccination platform that there's so much more information on, on other kinds of of diagnostics and therapeutics and the history of, of bioregulatory medicine, the philosophies, the, you know, the etiologies of diseases. It's just uh, uh, so much more information. The vaccine issue is a very, very small part of, of BRMI, uh, but we got pulled into it. We got drug into it um, because of what's going on in the world. You know, this and is- you stay current with what's happening in medicine and this is what's happening in medicine. Current. So that's, that's what you got, you know, but you're also <laughs> very into, you know, whatever's next fiber optic IVs or, you know, the next cutting edge thing, Exactly. which there's a podcast for BRMI as well with our wonderful host, Dr. Sharon Stills. And I highly recommend to learn more about yourself healing capacities to go to the BRMI podcast and subscribe to that as well as this podcast and share it with your friends and family so that you can get that information out there. They can make that informed consent and everybody can feel good about their decision that they make for their bodies. Yes. And, uh, you know, BRMI again is a non-commercial uh, site, a non-commercial institute. We don't sell anything um, and fortunately, everything is free. So you could sign up free for the e-journals. Uh, you could, you know, like us on our social media pages. Uh, we hope you do. We could visit our YouTube channel. We have uh, over 150 YouTube videos on our YouTube channel. So there's a lot of things to get into here for free. And so we're trying to create this library, this database uh, for the public, and, and that people can go there and they're not 
uh, at their leisure. Uh, they don't have to be a member. You don't have to pay any money. You don't have to buy anything. It's just totally uh, non- I forget to mention that it's free. And, and you're right. People probably always think that costs money when I explain what it is. But you're <clears> right. It's free. There is literally no re- reason to not go there. Yeah. And so, but you, I do encourage you to uh, sign up to get the e-journal yes. and uh, that, that you'll have to do. All you have to do is just give your name and, and um, email. And of course we don't sell that information in no way. It, it goes nowhere. Uh, it stays with us. So, um, but we'd like to hear from you too. If you, if you have uh, something to share with us, uh, information to share, you could, you could send it to me. It's uh, JPM Odell at brmi.online jpm odell at, G- at brmi.online yeah we'll put that in the show notes too for you dr odell, yeah. for sure. so if you want to uh you know share some information that you know or you have a comment about it if uh whatever or you want to know about something you're curious about something this is the guy to ask and he will find out for you and or he'll direct you to where it's already in the database because yeah. That often is what happens to me. I'll ask him a question. And he'll be like, well, Kelly, it's on our website. at It took yeah. me a while to get used to it as well, because we're so accustomed to going to other search engines. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I, I've so gotten accustomed to going to BRMI. If I want information about anything, you go, okay, what, what has BRMI posted? Because I know that's going to be empirical base and evidence. And that's a good place to start my research. And another thing we don't do is we don't give advice about a person's personal health. Uh, Like, so, you know, if you call us and say, you know, I have stage four cancer, what do I do? You know, I can't tell you, uh, you know, as uh, from in in the platform of BRMI in no way, that's not what we do. We only provide information of a general nature and uh, we don't in any way uh, recommend therapies. Uh, We don't recommend clinics. We don't recommend practitioners. We don't recommend products. Uh, So you won't get any of that kind of information from us. What you will get though, is a database of information that you can decide for yourself what to do. And find out about techniques and therapies and all sorts of content of baseline information. Yes, yes. Oh, it's wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you all for sticking with us today. I know this is information that I have been asked to get. And James, thank you so much for making yourself available at such short notice. You know, I, we have so much going on and we want to post this immediately because we've been asked daily this question multiple times and we want to make sure that it's not, they're not quick answers, that people truly understand where we stand. And we knew that we'd be 100% in alignment with BRMI, which is why we're honored to be on the board of advisors with you and, yes. and, and walking arm in arm to help the world understand how their body really works. Thank well, thank you. For you, Kelly. you thank you for all you do. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. From our heart to yours here on the beats with Dr. James O'Dell. That concludes our wrap on the vaccine, which is the hot topic of today. And thank you so much for sharing this this time with us, all of you. Have a wonderful day. 